0: I have uh, been fired by some of what I've been reading lately. I read uh, Praying the Psalms by Walter Brueggemann, Praying with the Church by Scott McKnight, and The Case for Psalms by N.T. Wright. It has prompted me to ask questions about how, Would reading the psalms, making the psalms part of my daily life change me? What would it do to my spiritual life if I made a habit of that? Um, And there's been a lot of other questions that have gone on with, with that reading and with those questions. Today's sermon is called, You Resemble Who You Worship. The idea behind the the topic, the title, is that in the Psalms, I am continually being confronted with God. Not with myself, but with God. And the more I am confronted by God and struggle with God, the more I'm changed by it. In a way, it's sort of like what Dee was talking about this morning, because she was struggling with God, and, and she's changed by that struggle. And the Psalms does that to us, because the Psalms is just full of God, and it, it takes me away from myself. That's going to be a big theme today, is the self-centeredness of the world that we live in. This particular sermon that Judy read to, uh, pardon me, text that Judy read to us this morning uh, is uh, a prayer from David which opens up David's heart. We get to look inside David's heart and see what's going on inside his heart as he struggles with himself in relationship to his father. In the spirit of disclosure, I think it's important for you to know that I believe that we human beings are intensely self-centered as a race. Uh, I I see it all the time. I'm sure you see it as well. Uh, Maybe it it offends us a little bit. Maybe we say, I'm not self-centered, but when I'm honest... Yeah, I am. You know, if I'm sarcastic with Bev, I'm being self-centered. If I don't pay attention to somebody, I'm being self-centered. If I'm not listening with my whole being when I'm talking with somebody, I'm being self-centered. And I I told you about the occasion that I had when my journalist friend John told me to write an article and strip out all the first-person pronouns, and it was very difficult to do. How do I talk to another human being without self-referencing? How do I do that? How do I strip me out of the equation? Well. I I want to give you some examples just to kind of get your gray matter going on this. But if I'm talking to Robin and I'm only thinking about the next thing that I'm going to say to Robin and I'm not listening to her and not responding to her, I'm being self-centered. You know, maybe she says, I've been uh, struggling with something. And I say, did I tell you what happened to me last week? well, what's that about? It's about me. I want to talk about me. Or by continually focusing attention on myself in, in other ways, in other kinds of context, by judging others based on me. Well, I wouldn't do that. Well, so what? That other person is not you, or not me. Uh, By spending time and money chiefly on myself, by being intolerant of the ideas of others. I'm finding that often things that, that make me uncomfortable, I tend to be intolerant of. And I may, in the end, decide that it's not valid, but I, I at least need to think about it. I need to show respect, don't I? You know, I mean, if star tells me something totally kooky. I at least need to have, I'm, I'm just making this up, but, but I, I at least need to have respect for her because she's my friend because I care about her and I need to think about what she said one of the things that I've enjoyed doing is is sometimes I will say to somebody tell me about that tell me that take me on that trip and and what I what I wanna find out is you know what led you to that conclusion what kinds of thoughts, what kinds of experiences went into that? What, what about what you're reading? What are you reading that has caused you to believe that? And I may not agree, but that's okay. By being rude, impatient, and condescending toward others. Boy, that's really hard. That's the stupidest comment I've ever heard. Have you ever done that to somebody? It's, it, it's, it's being self-centered is what it's being. It's, it's letting me be the referent. Well, who's it stupid to? It's not stupid to them. It, it's stupid to me. Yet this is where we inevitably end up when we cut God out of the conversation and when we quit thinking about who we are in relationship to this God that created us. A vocabulary devoid of God is doomed to self-centeredness. It is. Because without God, all we've got is us. And there's no other point of reference except us. But when God steps into the picture, everything changes. It changes the way I look at myself, the way I look at other people. In the beginning, David wasn't egocentric, I don't think. So you have this, this tender little boy, the lowliest kid in the family. He's at the bottom of the pecking order. And he's out tending sheep and the call goes out for somebody to come in and do battle with Goliath, David ignores any possible harm to himself. You know, he comes into where the Israelites are camped with his humble little slingshot, and he says, I'll take him on. But you don't see the sort of arrogance that develops in his life later. <coughs> when King Saul was trying to kill him, David deferred to King Saul. Never acted arrogant. And then when he met Nabal, or Nabal, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, Nabal was this boorish, redneck guy. Who, When David comes to his household, Nabal doesn't even offer him the normal courtesies. Abigail, Nabal's wife, is embarrassed by her husband's boorishness and his refusal to to be kind to David. But David, again, off-put by Nabal, as anybody would have been, but not in the arrogant sort of way I think that you you see later on in his life. But being king was not good for David. And it caused David to to become so arrogant and pompous about himself. And and we see that as uh, well, for example, with Michael. Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L is the daughter of King Saul. And King Saul gives David, Michael, to be his wife. But there was a period of time when uh, David goes out and he marries Abigail, the wife of Nabal, who dies. So he's really kind of taken with Abigail, so he marries her. And then there's another woman named Ahinoam, and he marries her. And so King Saul says... I don't want Michael going into that. And he takes her back and he gives her away to a guy named Palti who loves Michael. Well, King Saul dies and David takes Michael away from T. And the text says that on, Paul, on uh, Michael's way to David, no doubt being accompanied by people from Nabal, from um, David's court. Pulte is down the road crying, sobbing, great tears, following his wife as she goes into Jerusalem. That's David now. It's not like David the little shepherd boy. But the premier example of David's egocentrism <coughs> was one day he was on the roof of his house Roofs back then were flat and they had living space on top of it. So it's not unusual to be walking around on your roof. And he's up there walking around looking over Jerusalem. He looks down the neighborhood and he sees Bathsheba out on her roof taking a bath. And David gets out his binoculars, and he says, wow, this is a woman I'd really like to have. And at this point, David becomes a lech, and he wants her for sex. And so he dispatches some people from his court who go to Bathsheba's house, knock on the door, and says, "Uh, hey, the king would like for you to come visit. So Bathsheba puts on her finest makeup. I just blogged about this. And uh, her finest dress, you can't say no to the king, and she goes to king's palace. And he wines her and he dines her and gets her a little tipsy. He says, let me show you my bedroom. And the result is that a few days later, a month later, whenever Bathsheba sends a note to the king, uh, the pregnancy kit turned blue and you're going to be a daddy. And it was not what David wanted to hear, right? Because people took a dim view of that. And so David said, hmm, I got a problem. I need, I need to deal with this. And so he has Uriah killed her husband. He thinks, his plan is, that he'll kill Uriah and everybody will think that this is Uriah's kid. If Uriah had survived, he would have said, no, David, it's not my kid. I was too honorable. I would not come home and have intercourse with my wife because my men were suffering on the battlefield. That's what Uriah said when he was alive. So this is where arrogance, this is where self-centeredness leads you because you think entirely of self, you think entirely of of what you want and what will be embarrassing to you or what will be titillating to you and that's where it goes. It always goes that way. The event that brought (laughs) David back to his senses was A story that Nathan the prophet told him, and so you've heard this story before, but bear with me. Nathan says, uh, oh, David, by the way, there was this rich man that was having a big party, and he went next door to his neighbor's house. His neighbor had this one little ewe lamb, this one little lamb that he loved to death. And the rich neighbor with lots of property and lots of lambs goes and says, I want your ewe lamb. And He takes it, and he slaughters it and kills it and serves it to his guests. David goes ballistic. He says, the arrogance of that. He ought to be punished. Nathan says, "Uh, David, that's you. And all of a sudden, all of the arrogance, all the self-centeredness comes tumbling in on him. And now David no longer has this self-referencing point of view, but he starts thinking about himself in terms of others and in terms of the God that he serves. Boy, talk about changing the rules of the game. It did. Psalms 51, which Judy read to us, is generally thought to be the psalm that David wrote following the Bathsheba event. So I imagine him tossing and turning on his bed and not being able to sleep. And in that, he says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I can't get it off of my mind. I've lost my appetite. I feel like a slug. Have mercy on me, O God. And it's really interesting to read the pronouns, impl- the, the implied pronouns uh, and the pronounced pronouns. He says, I was born a sinner. That's what I know. I, I know what I'm made of. I know what I'm capable of. And there's no more self-referencing because now he's not saying this is a good thing. He's not saying I'm the center of the universe. He's saying I know that that I am far off the mark with my life. You, God, wash me thoroughly because you, God, are the only one that's going to be able to set my life right. He says, you, God, you desire truth in the inward being. My truth was a lie. What I told myself as I looked at Bathsheba and we drank wine, it was all a lie. It was all a lie. Let me hear your joy and gladness. Restore my heart. Put something back in my heart that's good, that that makes me feel laughter again. Again, I'm not able to do it myself. Do not cast me away from your presence because you are the one to give meaning and direction to my life, my mouth will declare your praise. Not my praise, your praise. Left to myself, I tend to be pretty pretty inward and pretty selfish, and my prayers drift to give me this and help me there. Uh, That's why the Psalms have been so fascinating to me, and that's why uh, I've been wanting just to kind of spend some time with us thinking about that. Psalms turn my vision toward God. The Psalms are full of God. Fixed our prayer, which right now doesn't mean anything to you probably, but we're going to talk more about it later in this series, makes me consider other things besides my particular prayer nag of the day. I have a little card that I keep in, in one of my prayer books, and and it's you know it's a list of my little prayer nags that I keep talking to God about. And we all have those lists, don't we? I I think they're pretty important. I mean, aren't they? I mean, I'm me. <laughs> I'm special. It's kind of the way that I. I sometimes feel. David, more than any other person, gives me such a good model of what a God-conscious life looks like. It, it really centers me. So I'd like to ask you for this week to think about <clears throat> how, how many ways you may also be guilty of egocentricity, of speech and, and thought and behavior. Uh, don't, don't hear that as accusation, but I, you're human beings like me, and so I kind of figure I'm pretty safe in saying there are probably some times when you have problems with it too. How would you work to reduce that? What would you have to put in place in your life in order to turn that back around toward God in a way that you would, you would love? Let's pray. Lord, we've not forgiven others as we've been forgiven. We've not listened to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. We confess to you our unfaithfulness and our self indulgence. We confess to you, O God, our anger and our envy toward others our dishonesty, and our neglect. We ask you to accept our repentance for our indifference, our selfishness, our prejudice, and our, our self-centeredness. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.